Well, good morning, everyone. Really good to see all of you here today. Thanks for coming out to church. Those of you who are here in the room with us and and those of you up in the balcony, also want to say hi to everybody watching online right now. Thanks for joining us this morning. What a great chance to worship God through singing. Now we just continue to do it through his word. And I hope you're excited as we continue in 1 Timothy. Before I get into that, if you're new today, and I've already uh, met some new people here, my name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us here today to worship God with us and learn about him today. If you want to get connected with us, you can do that by going to efree.org slash connect and fill that out or text the word connect to the number on your screen. I just got to spend some time with something we call a connect group here um, just a minute ago and got to see a whole bunch of new families that are new to the church and getting plugged in and, and they're all kind of building relationships with each other. So it's really, really awesome to be connected in the body of Christ. It is so important that we not just view what we do here on the weekends as the total of our involvement with the family of God and and with church. So it's really important that you get involved in a group and be a part of a group. And we have groups available. You can go to efree.org slash groups if you want to uh, learn more about those and get involved in one because church life is, is not just about what we do here on the weekends. It's also about living life together, helping each other grow and encouraging each other, staying in the word and in prayer together. So it's really, important, we think, that you be involved in some kind of a group. And we have Sunday morning groups, so you can go to a Sunday morning group and go to church. We also have groups throughout the week. That way you get to know each other better and can be connected. We want to make the, the bigger church feel small, and that's how we do it, is through groups. Also, a couple weeks ago, I went through an old sermon series here. Well, not too old, a couple years old, but old enough that there's probably a lot of people who have never heard it before, and I wanted to share it with you because I I just went back and listened to the whole series in one day as I was working on other stuff and just kind of had it playing in my ear. And as I was was listening to it, I was thinking, man, this is some of the best stuff I have ever had the privilege to preach. I mean, it's just all about how to connect with God in a deep way, how to connect with other people in a great way. If you're new to a church, you're going to want to go through this series. It's called Hello, My Name Is, and it's available on our website at efree.org slash messages. Uh, It's going to help you understand how people form relationships. How do you go deeper in relationships? One of the biggest problems we face today is loneliness. It doesn't matter how old you are. People can be so lonely. And even in this crowd here today, you could be lonely sitting in a crowd of other people. Because loneliness is not just about are there people around, but are you forming deep connections with them, deep relationships? And this series will teach you how to do that as well as how to form healthy boundaries and what those relationships should look like and that not all of them need to be the same. So... I can't recommend it enough. If you've never been through it before, Hello, My Name Is is a great series to go check out. Well, before we get started today, what I'm going to ask you to do is just take a moment, if you would, and look around the room. I know you think you're supposed to look up here right now. Just look around, see all the different people, look at what they're wearing, look at the diversity that God has built into his creation and his people. What you are seeing is actually light photons bouncing off other objects in this room, coming back and hitting 126 million photoreceptor cells in your eyes, rods and cones, that are interpreting that data, those light photons, as colors and shades of light. And that is how you are seeing what goes on in the world. And God gave us these amazing eyes, which, you know, unless we're born without vision or or lose our eyes at some point, give us this ability to see the incredible world that God made. And it is really incredible. 
uh, animals don't have the, the same eyes that we have. They don't get to see the same things we do, all the beauties, all the colors, all the amazing things. And I just want to give you a moment to appreciate that. Let's just take a couple of minutes right now to appreciate and meditate on the colorful world that God made. that's just like a nice breath of fresh air to you. Just, ah, look at the amazing things God made in this world. Isn't it beautiful? It's really incredible. And to think that God made this incredibly beautiful place and then made us with the ability to see all those beautiful things. Now, the reason you can see those beautiful things and all those different colors so, so clearly and so perfectly is because, we're going to go to science class a little bit here, because of something called the electromagnetic spectrum. You didn't think you were going to learn about this today at church, did you? The electromagnetic spectrum includes things like gamma rays and x-rays and ultraviolet and infrared and radio waves and long radio waves and all of this stuff exists on this big spectrum where all these photons, light photons, can, can interact with other things and their particles and their waves and it's, it's a complicated mess of stuff that we don't need to get into. But the important thing that you need to know about is that on this spectrum of, of photons, the electromagnetic spectrum, the amount that you actually can see with your visual devices is just a sliver between the ultraviolet and the infrared. That's all you can see is this tiny little bit between the ultraviolet and the infrared. In fact, if you were to take the entire electromagnetic spectrum and you were to stretch that out from St. Louis to Kansas City, do you know the amount you would actually be able to see with your eyes? 44 feet. That is how much you can see of the electromagnetic spectrum. Some people can see a little bit more than that if they've had a special surgery to remove a part of their eye that actually filters out ultraviolet light. That's not why they do it, but a byproduct is they actually can see some ultraviolet light because of the eyes that God has fine-tuned to filter out so much of that electromagnetic spectrum so all we see is this little bit, and that's a really good thing. Because if it weren't for our eyes being finely tuned for this little narrow band of visible light that we can see, the world would just like a, look like a jumbled mess. 
You would see gamma rays and x-rays and ultraviolet rays and infrared and all this stuff. Every time you, if I looked at this crowd out here, you'd all be glowing because of the infrared you're letting off. And we can see that through special devices, but with our eyes, we cannot see literally most, over 99% of what is actually out there in this room right now, you can't see. And if you could, it would be completely overwhelming. And some of it would go right through your eyelids. You couldn't even close your eyes and cut it off. It would just absolutely overwhelm you. The point I'm trying to make with all this is that we think we have an accurate perception of the world around us. We think we understand what is going on around us because of what we see and because of what we hear and because of what we smell. And in reality, our senses give us this tiny little fraction of the real world and what is really happening and what God made. We see almost none of what's really going on in this world. Our perception is based on this very narrow window of what we can perceive. And yet we know from science and scientific experiments and devices that can show us what these other things look like and how they interact in the world, and we can leverage those things like radio waves and microwaves, we know that there is so much more that we cannot see. But we suffer from a lack of perception. We can't see at all. If aliens were to show up here tomorrow, and these aliens didn't have atmosphere like we have on this earth, their perception of us would be like we think of fish. There are these ocean-dwelling creatures, only they can't actually even swim in the fluid they live in. They just have to walk around on the bottom of the ocean floor and move around in this fluid they call air. Because we don't think of it as anything. We, we think of air as nothing, but the reality is that air is this, this fluid. There's this stuff that's all around us that we live in, but we just get used to it. We get used to the world the way we are, and so we have a difficult time perceiving anything else, and it's just become so normal to us. We can't see everything. The, li the universe is literally not what it seems because of our limited perception of it. One of the things that we cannot see or perceive with our physical senses is the spiritual world. There is another layer to all this stuff God made, the spiritual realm, the spiritual world that we cannot see, but that doesn't mean it's not there. We can't see a lot of things. In fact, we can't see most of the things that exist in this world. And so it's no surprise that we can't see some things in the spiritual world either. There are spiritual beings limited by place and time who are moving around in our world, interacting with each other, even interacting with people and influencing people, and we are often completely unaware of it, but we need to be aware of it. We need to understand, even if we can't fully grasp, even if we can't fully know what's really happening, we need to know when the Bible tells us about the types of things that are happening so that we can be aware and have a better understanding of what we can do about it in our lives. I know we don't think about this a lot, but the reality is there is a spiritual realm and a spiritual dimension and a spiritual battle that is taking place behind the scenes, and it actually has a very real impact on you and me, and we can have a very real impact on it. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the spiritual battle. And understanding how little you can see of the electromagnetic spectrum, I think, helps us understand, oh, wow, there is a lot more that is real and is there, but I can't see it, and, and that's just the way it is. So we're going to continue looking at 1 Timothy today. We've been working our way through this letter, and we're in chapter 4, and Paul is going to give this brief mention of the spiritual world, and we're just going to take that and open that up a little bit and look into what does Paul have to say about the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle and our role in it, because Paul is reminding Timothy. He's just giving them this quick little snapshot. Hey, remember this, Timothy. We've talked about this before, and what we're going to do is say, okay, how has Paul talked about this before? 
because this is just a quick mention that he's going to give here. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn your Bibles there, starting in verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know that it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. And speaking of prayer, let's go ahead and pause right now to pray. God, would you teach us, Lord? Would you teach us what you want us to know from this? We, we understand that so much of what you are doing in our world is beyond our comprehension and beyond our perception. But Lord, we believe in you. We trust in you. We know that there are things happening that we can't fully understand or perceive, and yet you have given us a window into them because you want us to be wise in how we live. You want us to engage in this spiritual battle, even though we can't see it all. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our minds and our hearts to understand what you are doing and, and what your enemies and our enemies are doing. Help us to have a better understanding of it so that we can have a better defense for it, so that we can encourage each other and unite together and work to expand your kingdom and advance your cause and your purposes in this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, Lord, and to understand it on a deeper level today. And in your name we pray. Amen. Let's jump back to verse 1 for a minute. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy 4. Paul says that some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that really come from demons. Think for a moment about what that means. There are people who are being influenced by and allowing themselves to follow the teaching of demons, evil spirits. And sometimes, especially in our country, in our culture, it's easy to just sort of put that stuff out of our mind and think that stuff doesn't happen, yet that's exactly what God's word is saying. Now, the people who are following these evil spirits, do they even recognize that they're following evil spirits? Probably not, because they're deceptive. They're deceptive spirits, Paul says, so they may not even realize it. In fact, they may think they're doing something good. Oftentimes, they may genuinely and sincerely think, I am doing a good thing, and really, they're being influenced by a demon. You may wonder sometimes, how can so many people in this world be so deceived and so confused and call what is bad good and what is good bad? And I think maybe here we have part of the answer. There's a spiritual battle taking place behind the scenes that you and I can't see. And if it doesn't make sense to you and it seems so irrational and why can't they see what you see, you have the advantage of God's word to guide you and his Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. And there are many people in this world who have the opposite of that. They're being led into falsehoods and they don't realize it and they sincerely believe what they've been taught by deceptive spirits. This stuff is happening. Might explain a lot, right? As you watch the news and as you read things, it might explain a lot of what is going on in our world, how so many people can seem so deluded, so confused, so misled, and, and how they can call what is good bad and bad good, and it, it baffles us. But we need to remember, not everything can be seen with the naked eye. There are other things happening behind the scenes that we can't see, but that doesn't mean that it's real. I want to talk a lot more about the spiritual battle in a minute, but before we do that, I want to talk about these people in particular, because Paul gives us some insights here. He says, 
that these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. What does that mean? Well, they're hypocrites because they don't practice what they preach. So on some level, these people that Paul is talking about who have turned away from the faith, been influenced by demons, these people are now going around and spreading that teaching to others, whatever it is. We'll get into that in a minute. But they're not even following what they're telling other people to do. So they're being influenced by demons. They're following demons, but they don't even believe all the stuff that they're being influenced to spread, okay? They're also liars, which means some of what they're saying they know isn't true. And yet they're sharing it anyway. Why? Because their consciences are dead. They don't even care what's good or bad anymore. They may know this isn't true, but it doesn't matter because they're trying to get someone to follow a certain path, believe a certain thing for a certain reason, which we'll talk about later. And so they're willing to say whatever, do whatever, as long as they can fulfill their agenda, their mission, which they may not even realize is driven by a demon who is influencing them. And so they are hypocrites, they are liars, and their consciences are dead. And these just sound like absolutely terrible people, don't they? I mean, these are scary people. Oh, what, what on earth are, are they doing here? And don't miss the fact that these people are part of the church. Paul says they turned away from the faith. Now, does that mean that they had genuine faith in Jesus and they abandoned it? Or does that mean that they were just exposed to the faith? They were in the church, but they weren't actually committed followers of Jesus. And they turned away from the faith they never really had. We don't, we don't actually know. The text doesn't say, and that's a topic for, for a different time that would, would rely on other scriptures. But they were a part of the church. They were people that were connected to the church, probably trusted voices in the church because this is a concern for Paul that these people might lead other people astray. And so these were, we, these were people who were part of the church. They were trusted. They were, they were known. They were influential in some way, probably viewed as very good people. But they were being influenced by something that no one could see to spread thoughts that were damaging to other believers and to unbelievers. Terrible people, quite a rebuke from Paul. What was it that they were teaching that was so bad? Was it, was it worshiping idols? Was it human sacrifice? Like what was so bad? Paul says they will say that it's wrong to be married and to eat certain foods. That doesn't sound so bad. Lots of people aren't married. Paul even said at one point, I wish everyone were single as I am. And his point was so that you can just focus all your time on ministry. And Paul was also a great advocate of marriage and taught a lot about marriage as well. Lots of people don't eat certain foods. Lots of people tell you you shouldn't eat certain foods. I'm sure there's at least one member of your family. Every family's got one. You shouldn't eat that. So what's the, what's, don't look at them. <laughs> Careful. It's a judgment-free zone. What's so bad about not eating certain foods or not being married? I bet a lot of people would look at these people in the church who were spreading this kind of teaching and think, come on, what's the big deal, Paul? It's, not, it's just this kind of weird little beliefs over here. And here's, here's why it's a, a big deal. I'm going to explain this. Here's, here's the statement, and I'm going to explain what it means. Here's the statement. Any deviation from the gospel, no matter how small, is a dangerous distortion of the truth. And that's what this was. This was a deviation from the gospel. It was small. It was probably seemingly insignificant, but it was actually a distortion of the gospel, which was very dangerous. Let's talk about the gospel for a minute. The gospel means good news. So in the version that we're using today, the New Living Translation, it actually translates it good news, which I like because that's what it is. The gospel is the good news about salvation. That Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life because he is God. He lived the life that none of us could live, um, literally became the seed of Adam and Eve, which was the prophecy from Genesis 3. And so he lived this perfect life 
died on our behalf, paid for all of our sin because he was righteous. Now his righteousness can be applied to us if we believe in him, trust in him. That is the gospel message. We can be right with God. We can have righteousness of God because of Jesus Christ if we have faith in him. Peter said at one point when he was talking to the Jewish council, he said, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name. He's talking about Jesus under heaven by which we must be saved. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. These people in Ephesus were teaching that it wasn't enough to believe in Jesus. You had to do something more. There were extra things that you had to do, extra rules you had to follow. Paul dealt with the same thing with the church in Galatia. And I'm just going to hit that briefly so that you can see the parallel here. In Galatians 1.6, he says, hey guys, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way, a different way that pretends to be the good news. It pretends to be the gospel, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven. Now, angel doesn't have to mean a good angel. An angel is a messenger, a messenger from the heavenly realm, a messenger from the spirit realm. If a spirit shows up and and influences you with a different kind of gospel, then let him be accursed if he preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. Then he explains what is different. What's different about the good news versus the bad news, the distortion of the good news? In the next chapter, he says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, not by any extra rules or anything that you would add on to Jesus. He says, we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. That was the issue they were dealing with. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. The message is being right with God only happens because of your faith in Jesus, not anything that you add to it. There is no extra thing you have to do. And a lot of people live very spiritual lives, very religious lives, very seemingly good lives, and yet they're just two degrees off from the true gospel because they think there's something they have to do to add to that belief in Jesus, something they have to contribute. Here's the math of how that works out. Trusting in Jesus plus nothing else equals saving faith because there's nothing you can do that adds any value to that proposition for God. There's no good that you can do that will make him say, aha, Jesus' death got you 90% of the way and thanks for providing the other 10%. Appreciate that. It's not how God works. Trusting Jesus plus the good things I do means that there's some faith in me. There's some faith in what I can do to help get me there and that is not the gospel of the Bible. But see, if people will deviate from the gospel just a little bit, just enough to not actually have true, full faith in Jesus, but somewhat in the things that they do, it keeps them from becoming a part of God's kingdom. And this is the the sneaky little way that the enemy tries to work to subvert God's kingdom, to keep God's kingdom from growing because it doesn't take much. Just a, a small little distortion of the gospel is all that's needed. And man, it sounds so good and it's plausible. And many of the churches that would do something like this, there are many churches out there They have good views, good biblical views on a lot of things. And we would agree with them on a lot of issues. But when it comes to the gospel message, they're just two degrees off. They're just off enough. There's just enough false teaching in there. And that's how clever it is. Being led by demons, influenced by demons, 
to just twist the gospel enough so that it's not really the good news anymore, that all you have to do is believe in Jesus, that Jesus did all you could ever need, that you can't do anything to provide anything to that gospel equation, that you, you do good things and good works because you are saved, not so that you can get saved. And that's all it takes to keep people from entering God's kingdom because they go through their whole lives thinking, I'm doing good stuff, I'm contributing, hopefully God will think this is enough, I like Jesus, I've got some pictures of him, I've got other stuff, I'm a big fan of Jesus, I do a lot of things he tells me to do, and I think that if I do enough of these good things that the church tells me to do, then I'll, then I'll be in. And there are people that live their lives that way. And they're gonna be absolutely shocked and unbelievably disappointed to learn that that was not the good news at all. But where does it come from? Paul says it comes from deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. This distorted gospel message actually comes from demons influencing people. Now understand what this means. There are spiritual forces that we cannot see that are influencing people around us and around the world, sometimes in churches, to cause other people to believe a deviation of the gospel so they won't have genuine faith in Jesus. That's what's really going on out there. That's what may be going on here. I don't know. This is what Paul is warning us about. What we're talking about here is the very essence of spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. There are spirit beings that oppose God. They have rebelled against him. They weren't always against him. They have rebelled against him. And now they are driven for a desire for control and to limit God's influence. They want to cause chaos. They want to cause trouble. They want to cause division in God's kingdom. And they want to keep it as small as possible. And anytime someone new becomes a part of God's kingdom, their kingdom shrinks. And they don't want that. So there is a battle going on behind the scenes that you and I are a part of and, and we often don't even realize. We can't even recognize it because we don't really see it with our eyes. The Bible tells us that it is there. Just like you can't see most of what's actually going on in this room right now. If you could see all the gamma rays and x-rays and ultraviolet and all infrared and all those things, it'd be unbelievably overwhelming. So we need that limited perspective, but we have to understand there's something else there, an unseen realm. An unseen realm that is very invested not only in what you did before you trusted Jesus, but even what you do after you trust in Jesus because you can still be influential and useful to them. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you never trusted in him, then their goal is gonna be to keep it that way. They don't want you to know that it's all about trusting in Jesus. They don't want you to commit your life to him. They don't want you to recognize that there's nothing you can do to help you earn God's favor. They'd like to keep some element of, of lie in there, even if you get really close so that you never fully get all the way in. They would love for that to happen. But if you are a follower of Jesus, they're still eager to influence in different ways. Here are the things that they would like to see happen. Number one, they would like you to be apathetic about your faith. Just, yeah, it's there. I go to church on the weekends, you know, I'm a fairly good person. Number two, they would like you to be distracted by the material things of the world. My goodness, is that easy to do. I feel like that's more easy now than it ever has been before. We, we, we have so many things at our fingertips. You know, I mean, 10 years ago, we, we would have thought about this completely differently because at that time, we couldn't order something on our phones and have it show up at our doorstep the next day, or in some cases, the next hour. I mean, we have such an easy time of just getting stuff and getting things, and we don't even have to leave the house anymore, you know? I mean, who knows? Some of you watching at home right now, you may not have left the house in a month because you can just have everything delivered. It is so easy for us to just sort of lock ourselves down and get, to get focused on the things of the world. And, if, and of course, if you're ever bored and you want to see the world, well, you don't have to actually go see the world. You just pop open Netflix or something and you can watch all kinds of stuff. 
And we can get distracted by the things of the world. Uh, number three, they want to get you to actually fear inviting other people to be a part of the kingdom. Hey, check this out. Jesus made a huge difference in my life. I've never been the same. Man, if it weren't for God's influence in my life, I don't know where I'd be today. He's made such a difference. I mean, I can't think of, of two more scary things for some Christians to utter than those to their unchristian friends. The enemy lo would love for us to be fearful of telling other people about God's kingdom and what it means to us and what a difference it makes to us. Number four, if they can, they would love to get you to teach a version of the gospel that is actually false so people won't join. You may have believed the true gospel. You may have understood. You may be a part of God's kingdom, but if they can start to distort your view, then there is a possibility that they could actually get you to misrepresent even your own faith. You may not even realize it, and other people won't become a part of God's kingdom. This is spiritual warfare. This is what is happening in our world today. In fact, if you really think about it closely enough, a lot of the things going on in the world that you might think have no connection to spiritual things at all very well may. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world that we, we can't see, we can't perceive. Now, I, I need to be careful here because it's easy to walk away from a talk like this and think, okay, you're a demon over there? You're a demon over there? This guy just said something bad to me. Probably a demon. Not the guy, but influenced. Maybe the guy, I don't know. It's easy to think, well, there must be a demon behind every rock and behind every bad decision, and that's not the case. We are human beings. We are flawed. We are perfectly capable of messing things up on our own. We don't need demons for that, but Paul wants Timothy to remember that these people are being influenced by demons, and some of the things people are doing that is causing problems are influenced by demons, and so I have two takeaways for you. Two things to walk away from today as we talk about the spiritual battle. The first one is to remember your real enemy. And the second one is to get ready for battle. Remember your real enemy and get ready for battle. Let's talk about the first one. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians was a letter written to the same people, the same church. And Paul explains a lot more about spiritual warfare there. And at some point, we'll do a whole series on Ephesians and we'll do a deeper dive than we're going to today. Today, Paul just gives Timothy this little reminder. So it's kind of a flyover of something that he already knew. We're going to dig into it a little bit and, and we'll save the really in-depth look for a future time in Ephesians. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. What is that? Spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual battle taking place, and, and Paul wants us to put on God's armor so that we can stand firm in the middle of that battle. Then he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. These are not our real enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And you may be wondering, why is he listing all these different varieties? Because there are different varieties. That's a topic for another day. There's a lot more to the unseen realm than most of us understand. There's a lot more going on there, and we only have glimpses of it. But it's a much bigger and real thing than we tend to realize. But Paul's point here is, hey, look, the people that you're dealing with, the people who frustrate you, the people who are doing things that you don't like, even the politicians that you disagree with, the public figures who represent views and promote views that you just think are abhorrent, those people are not your enemy. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, none of those people are your real enemy. You don't have to like what they do. You don't have to agree with them. But you do need to remember that those are people who Jesus died for. And those are people who God would want to be a part of his kingdom. And so the people are not the enemy. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual enemy. We're supposed to love people who are considered our enemies. We want them to be a part of God's kingdom, just as he does. In fact, earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul says, hey, listen, guys, you used to be those enemies. Remember, he says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. That changes everything. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And that's amazing, and that's wonderful, and that's what God wants for every person. God wants people to be a part of his kingdom. The people who you disagree with are not your enemy, which means no matter what they do, no matter what they've done to you, there is no reason for those of us who have followed Jesus to be hateful or bitter or angry or vengeful with any person. They're not the real enemy. No matter what they did to you, God still loves them, which is a crazy thought does. We need to turn that over to God and not have bitterness in our heart towards any other person. Maybe what they did was wrong. God still loves them and he'll still redeem them if they will repent and turn to him. And then what Paul wants us to know is that quite possibly there's more going on behind the scenes. There may be demonic influence taking place that is actually driving some of this. And that's one reason why you can encounter people who are so wrong and so sincere in their wrongness. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever encountered people like that? They are dead wrong, and you can see it plain as day, and no matter what you say to them, they can't seem to see it. Why are they so convinced? Why are they so sure of this? Well, it may just be the workings of the spirit realm behind the scenes, influencing them either directly or through other people. They're crafty, they're clever in what they're doing. They're working a lot in this world. And, and I don't want to make you think that a, a demon is behind every bad deed. But we need to remember that there are spiritual forces of evil out there. And they are working against God's kingdom. And if you are working for God's kingdom, then they will be against you. And they will try to get you off track in some way. It's going to happen. The Bible talks about this. So remember your real enemy. It's not the people. It's the spiritual forces of darkness that rejected God long ago and are now working against him and against his kingdom and against his people. And so we need to get ready for battle. We need to get ready for battle. Ephesians 6.13 says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy, that's the spiritual enemy, in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, and the body armor of righteousness, God's righteousness, that is, that's very important, actually. It's God's righteousness, not your righteousness. The belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, which I love that. I love the body armor. That's an updated translation. You used to say the breastplate, and people are like, the breastplate? What is that? But body armor, I know what that is. That's really cool. So the body armor of God's righteousness, the same thing. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news of the gospel. Gospel of peace is how this is sometimes translated, but it's peace that is brought on by the gospel so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith 
to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on uh, salvation as your helmet, the helmet of salvation, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's words written down for us, in this case, in the Bible. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let's break this down just a little bit more. Again, we're not going to do this in in a huge amount of depth because we could do a series on this in the future. But let's just, as a reminder, talk about what does it mean to put on the armor of God here? What does this look like? Well, there are seven things that Paul tells us to do to be ready for spiritual battle. How can you be battle ready? These are the seven things you need to do. Let's just kind of go over each of them briefly here. First of all, you've got the belt of truth. We need to value and hold to truth in a world that is full of lies, full of deception. We need to be discerning and mindful and to some extent skeptical in a positive way to say, you know what, let me check with God's word and make sure that's true before I just go along with this. Sadly, many times followers of Jesus can be incredibly gullible and someone will come to them and tell them something or send them something or post something online and we just go for it right away instead of stopping to think, what does the Bible say about this? How can I filter this through God's word? Maybe I should talk to some wise Christian counselors and get their input on this. We need to hold fast to truth and that's what the belt of truth is about. Then there's the body armor of God's righteousness and note that this is the righteousness of God, what Jesus Christ gives to you not your own righteousness, not what you can do. This is God's righteousness applied to your account that protects you. It's like body armor. Then there's the shoes of the gospel of peace. Peace that comes from the good news. Confidence. Because you've believed in God because of that gospel message, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. You can be peaceful. This is something I'm still working on in my life, recognizing that on a daily basis, there are things that I hit that cause worry or anxiety or concern, and just recognizing that if I really have faith in Jesus, that stuff doesn't really matter in light of eternity, in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done for me, in light of what I have believed in him, in light of all of his promises. There are so many things that can work me up and probably work you up, and yet if we are truly putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace then we know, hey, wherever I go, whatever I do, wherever this journey takes me, I've got confidence in Jesus and what he did for me. I've got security in heaven. I don't need to let anything bother me or anything worry me. There's the shield of faith. We need faith in God to withstand the enemy's attacks on you, attacks that that make you want to doubt, attacks that make you fearful, attacks that want to get you distracted, that want to cause you to shrink back, to not engage with the world as God tells us to do. We need a strong faith so that as those attacks come, we can say, nope, I am not going to allow that to keep me from engaging in this fight, in this spiritual battle, because I have faith in God and what he has done and and what he has called me to do. And I'm going to continue to follow that mission. Even if those fiery darts come at me that make me want to get distracted over here or fearful over here or anxious over here, we need the helmet of salvation to hold fast to the truth of our salvation that Jesus brought to us and not be led into false teaching and lies from the enemy. You need to make God's word a priority in your life. The word of God, the words of God that we have recorded for us in the Bible, that needs to be something that's such a priority to us that we are filling our minds with it all the time, not just in the weekends, not just here at church, not just kind of getting your spiritual shot in the arm and then going throughout the week, but what are you filling your mind with throughout the week? Does it include a healthy diet of God's word or is it mostly what the world wants to feed you? Well, if it's mostly what the world wants to feed you, then the honest truth is you are opening yourself up to the influence of demons. I don't mean to be weird about that. 
I just mean there's a lot of stuff that goes on in our world that is being orchestrated as part of a spiritual battle to cause chaos and to, to hinder God's kingdom. And the reality is there are things that are influencing us and influence our families and our children that are probably the result of demonic teaching, like what Paul talked about here, seemingly innocuous things like don't get married, don't eat certain foods, and yet it leads to a distortion of the gospel. That kind of stuff is happening in our world, and if our minds are constantly being filled with the things of the world and not the things of God, then we can't be surprised. And we can't be surprised when we don't have confidence and we don't have faith and we don't have hope and we live lives of anxiety and we're so discouraged. If we're not filling ourselves, reassuring ourselves with what God's word has to teach us, be in the word of God every single day. And then he finishes with constant prayer. You need an active prayer life both for yourself and for your fellow believers. In fact, Paul specifically says, pray constantly and pray for believers everywhere. Why? Because we're all in this battle together. We are all in this spiritual battle together and we need to be ready. We need to be aware. We need to not live our lives like an ostrich with its head in the sand, not aware of the spiritual battle taking place around us. I know we can't see it. There's a part of me that wishes we could. There are stories in the Bible about people where God opened their eyes and suddenly they could see all the spirit beings around them. Pretty crazy stuff. We'll have to cover that sometime. And there are times where I think, God, wouldn't it be cool if you just kind of showed us? And then I think, boy, it would probably have a lot of like, we'd have to change our pants. Uh, It would be a very scary thing, okay? And yet that's what God's word tells us is happening all around us. We have got to be engaged in the spiritual battle. And how does God tell us we do that? Put on the full armor of God. Trust in your salvation. Trust in God's promises. Be engaged in God's word. Be involved in prayer every day. Be actively involved in this. And remember, the people aren't the real enemy, but there is a real enemy. So let's get serious about our walk with God and about being close to him and about being battle ready for whatever the enemy throws our way. We know that God has already won the battle. That's the thing. If I play a game with my kids, I'm usually thinking 10 steps ahead. And so towards the end of the game, I know if I'm going to win. And they might think they're winning, and they might even be talking some smack. Because they're pretty sure, oh, dad, I got you here, I got you there. And and I know that in three moves, the whole thing's going to flip. And suddenly it's going to be to my advantage. And so I play with incredible confidence. I don't let anything worry me. If they do something that takes away some of my stuff, it's no big deal because I know what they don't know what's about to happen. That level of confidence is the level of confidence you can have in the spiritual battle because you know what's going to happen. You know that God has already won the battle, won the war, and yet we are still engaged in it. So live with that kind of confidence, that kind of trust, that kind of hope, and get battle ready. Father, uh, it is so difficult for us to keep our eyes fixed on you in the middle of a spiritual battle that we are so often ignorant of around us. And it does make things difficult that sometimes we don't know. We don't know if what's happening is, is because of spiritual warfare or because of just some person did something or, or just a fallen world that we live in or a natural disaster. There's all sorts of things, Lord, and, and we don't always know and we don't have to know. You know, you see everything that's going on. So our trust is in you. My prayer for those who are in this room who are watching online right now, God, is that you would help us to be a little bit more aware of what's going on in the world this week and around us and with other people. 
Help us to view people in a different way. Help us to see them as people that you love and people that we should love, even if they've hurt us, even if they do things that are contrary to your will because you still love them and in a moment's notice will accept them into your kingdom if they will just turn to you. Help us to understand that they are not the real enemy. Help us to have compassion for them and to recognize that there are spiritual forces out there that really truly are pure evil that have rebelled and rejected you since long ago that are working against your kingdom of which we are a part. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to stand strong, that you would give boldness and courage to each and every one of us, that you would make us ambassadors for your kingdom, that we would not shrink away from telling people about the goodness of God and what a difference you make in our life, that we would take the steps necessary to be battle ready so that when the difficult times come, we don't find ourselves thinking, man, I'm so discouraged, I'm so anxious, I'm so lonely, I'm so afraid. But we say, hey, this is what God's prepared me for because I've spent the time in his word and in prayer. Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities this week to put on your armor, to have compassion for people, to engage in your word in a new and fresh way, a meaningful way, spend lots of time in prayer. God, I pray that those would be hallmarks of this church, this family of believers moving forward. And in your name we pray, amen.